The Spiritual Freedom Show with Richard Lawrence, where politics is not the answer, materialism counts for nothing, and spirituality will set you free. Welcome to The Spiritual Freedom Show. This is an Ethereus podcast, also syndicated on other radio networks. And today I'm absolutely delighted because we're joined by Alan Jaggard in Toronto in Canada and also by Chrissy Blaze, who will be our guest presenter, and she's in Michigan. So welcome both to the show. And as always, of course, we have our producer, Darren Ball, who will be coming forward with questions, comments, none of which I've yet seen or heard. And that's quite deliberate so that it will be truly spontaneous when he puts the questions to me. But the main thing, of course, and the real purpose behind the Spiritual Freedom Show is that superb set of teachings, I believe to be the greatest on earth today, the nine freedoms. And we're very, very fortunate on this show. We have permission from the international directors of the Ethereum Society, the publisher of the nine freedoms, to play short extracts uh, from those. By that, I mean recordings taken over 60 years ago of communications delivered through Dr. George King. Now, I think everybody knows by now that I believe Dr. George King to be the greatest medium in history that I've heard of at least or come across or is reputed in any source I know of. Uh, he is... Well, the, the kind of mediumship he practiced is on a totally different level to that even claimed by some of the greatest of the mediums. And we've discussed mediumship a lot in the past on this show. But if you want to know more about the Nine Freedoms, please go to the Nine Freedoms page on the Ethereus Society website, which is www.ethereus.org. And then you'll see the background to how these were delivered, the book, uh, which I had the privilege to co-author the uh, the forward to, uh, the, the latest edition anyway. And also we have it brilliant lectures by Dr. King. We can't touch the quality of the lectures Dr. King gave on this show. Sometimes we play extracts from them. But what we can do on this show is really look into some of these pearls, some of these aphorisms in depth. And one thing we try to do here is to see how to apply these great teachings to our lives today in practical ways, wherever we can. So even when we're looking at the most advanced of these freedoms and we're looking at great beings way beyond the capacity of people like myself and, in fact, to be honest, all of us on earth, uh, nevertheless, what can we draw from this? What can we apply? And in doing so, how can we start to become attuned to the spiritual family, if you like, or the cosmic family of this solar system. We're, we're very, very far from being attuned at the moment to that on Earth. We are the one planet which is really out of kilter with the other planets. They, they all in complete harmony and cooperation together. And today, for the first time, we're going to take an extract from the eighth freedom. We're going even higher than we've gone so far on this show, uh, and that is the most advanced uh, inhabitants of any planet in this solar system, and that is the inhabitants of Saturn. So we're going to hear straight away then an extract, and you're going to hear a recording of Dr. King in deep somatic trance and receiving the communication from a, a lord, a, a lord by the name, the pseudonym, I should really say, the code name, if you like, of Mars Sector 6 pronouncing a few words about the Eighth Freedom, Saturnian existence. These are the masters of the planetary system who are actively engaged in helping all life streams to evolve out of their darkness, their ignorance, their suffering, 
the eighth freedom is brought about by sustained effort, by obedience, by dedication beyond all description. So in that short extract we heard, we started to hear some of the ways these most advanced, most wise, most ancient, uh, most divine, in terms of manifesting true divinity, of all the masters in this solar system. And that's saying a tremendous amount when you consider that, for example, Jesus came from Venus, Buddha came from Venus, just to name two. And this is even higher. There is one master who came to earth from Saturn that we know of, which was Sri Krishna, uh, these being just aspects of those intelligences. And of course, this is higher ground. And we're given, I believe, in the nine freedoms for the first time in history, a real insight into the the most important aspects of intelligences such as this, how they think, how they act. And this is very important, how they remain still, because stillness is one of the marks of these intelligences, as you will see when you study the eighth freedom. Now, I want to go on a, what may appear to be a little diversion, but I think you'll see why I'm doing this when we get there, because I think it will help us to approach this freedom in a, a very beneficial manner to us. It'll help us to appreciate, and appreciation is so important. It's not just cold learning, it's appreciation of wisdom that's so key to our evolution. Now, I'm going to refer back to the days of Bhakti Yogi, Yoga. And Bhakti Yoga, the yoga of devotion, was a yoga in which usually a sannyasin, a disciple, a student, was encouraged to see a reflection of divinity in their guru. And they would strive to come as close as possible to their guru, may not be physically, by the way. You don't actually have to physically meet your guru to become close to that guru. But that's what very often in the, in the ancient days, for example, in India, and not only in India, across East, the East mainly, uh, this was practiced, and they would enter an ashram or some kind of community or, or uh, turn up at the cave of their yogi by appointment, and they would try to come into the aura. Now, just quoting one tradition of this, there were three levels, and the lowest level, stage three, uh, the newcomer, would be taught not by the guru, but by a senior disciple who had reached stage one of that guru. Uh, when that, the individual progressed from stage three to stage two, then they would spend more time in the company of the guru until they themselves were ready to move on to stage one, and then they'd become a teacher themselves of newcomers to the ashram. That's just one particular ashramic tradition. There are several. But I have to say here that I am very aware that the guru-disciple tradition has been abused on certain occasions. It's a very sad fact. Uh, and sometimes the guru has not been what they should have been. And this has put a lot of people off the whole process. Uh, in the Ethereum Society, we're extremely fortunate because Dr. George King uh, was absolutely impeccable. I mean, he really was. He practiced exactly what he preached right up to his dying day, actually physically dying day, that is. And uh, in terms of his conduct, uh, he was completely, un you know, without question. He was very, very good. And it's, it's, it's a wonderful thing. And we're very fortunate to have that. But I know that there are some who've been disappointed by the gurus that they have dedicated themselves to. And I say that is a sad fact, very much a characteristic of this earth, but not of what we're going to be looking at when we come on to the eighth freedom, as I will explain. By the way, I should say that Dr. King himself did not like particularly some of the Bhakti yoga traditions. He didn't just necessarily disagree with them, but he wasn't comfortable. I mean, I'll give you an example. I was giving him healing one day. Uh, he was very poorly. He was in bed. 
and he wished to have healing through his feet. And in order to have a comfortable position to send healing from the palms of my hands through his feet, I knelt at the foot of his bed and he didn't like it. He didn't want me to kneel. So I had to crouch, which was less comfortable for me, but but was much better for him. And that's what counted. So he, he didn't go for those things, but it was a certain tradition. Now, when we come on to the seventh freedom, interplanetary existence, which we have touched on in, in, the, in the Spiritual Freedom Show, there is a particular statement made, and I'm going to read that statement to you. The divine is reflected through his masters upon Saturn. He would rather give up even his present freedom and be cast into the lowest terrestrial astral realms than disobey his masters by even a glance, by even a glance. But that really is the essence of what Bhakti Yoga should be. Uh, And if you are fortunate enough to have a master who is a reflection of the divine, certainly by comparison with yourself, that's what you are revering and that's what you are obeying. And that's exactly the type of attitude that they adopt on other planets towards the Saturnians and that we, I feel, should try to adopt when we examine the eighth freedom. And the wonderful thing about it is that they really are. Uh, a reflection of, of divinity and the perfection of divinity too. Reflection and perfection. You see, we, we also do poetry on this show as well. And in their every thought, their every action, and their, and this is interesting, and even in their inaction. I'm going to come on to that as well later. So they are engaged, we're told in this extract, in helping all life streams to evolve out of their darkness, their ignorance, their suffering. So they are the hallmark, as given here by Mars Sector 6, who really knows about these things uh, He, from experience, I would say, um, because just because uh, he's called Mars Sector 6, by the way, it doesn't mean that he is necessarily uh, at the Martian level. He could have adopted that um, identity, shall we say, for reasons of service. And the first thing that he picks out about these uh, Saturnians is the fact that they are serving. Always come back in the nine freedoms and in any great teaching, bar none, to service. So we on Earth, we, we owe our experience cycle to these Saturnian masters. And then Mars Sector 6 goes through a list And in this first extract, we have the first three elements of that list. He lists then 11 factors through which these intelligences have attained this very elevated state, this very revered state of Saturnian existence. And the first three we've heard already, and then there are eight more which we'll come to later in this show. So the first one he lists is sustained effort. I think that's very important. He doesn't even say effort. He says sustained effort. And that that is something which is, I mean, let's let's face it here. I'm, what we're trying to do is look at how we can learn and apply this. But obviously, we have no comprehension at all of the millions and millions of lives of sustained effort uh, they may have made to reach that state. Um, But nevertheless, the principle is there. And you find this on the spiritual path that very often people, when it's new, there's novelty, there's excitement, there's an initial interest, they will start away and maybe be very dedicated. But I'm going to come back to a quote which we've had before from Mars Sector 6, choose well, stand fast, know God. Even if you are successful in choosing well, using your discrimination, your intuition, all the faculties available to your intelligence. And and, and don't knock basic common sense as a way of choosing well. But even if you've done that, then you've got to stand fast. That's what sustained effort is. And it's something that a lot of people on this earth aren't too good at, I must say. Uh, we, We just don't seem to have that one down here. And yet it's absolutely vital. So a typical example of something which is very simple and yet very difficult at times 
you know, is that you're, you're inspired, you're uplifted, you're motivated to do something, but it's when you're not, when you don't feel like it, when you'd rather be doing something else, perhaps where you're feeling the, the pressure of responsibility, or perhaps you're being criticised by other people, or you're perhaps attracted to something else. That's when the sustained effort really comes in. And I think we can really draw great uh, wisdom from that. Now, the second factor on Mars Sector 6 is what I'm calling a list of how Saturnian existence is achieved, is obedience. And this is one of the reasons I mentioned Bhakti Yoga, because this is a difficult one for people on this world. They, they love, or we love, expressing our own opinion, doing our own thing, being our own person, etc., etc. We love to do all that. There's a place for that. You know, we have the old Frank Sinatra, My Way, I never thought I'd be quoting Frank Sinatra on the Spiritual Freedom Show. Actually, he didn't write that song. Uh, well, let's get our facts right on this show. It was Paul Anker who wrote that song, but it's only a song. But we love doing that. We love doing things my way. But when we find a true path, a true teaching, a real master such as Dr. King or another great master, whether he's alive or not physically, we then need to be obedient to him or her and their legacy. Uh, I want to quickly bring in here another Saturnian, uh, namely the Lord Babaji. The Lord Babaji is on Earth right now. The Lord Babaji is the most advanced master on Earth right now, I think by a long way. Uh, as I say, he's an aspect of a Saturnian. That says it all, I think. And everyone on Earth, every politician, financier, general, bishop, every religious leader, should be completely obedient to the Lord Babaji. I'm not sure whether the Lord Babaji would want everybody <laughs> being obedient or consulting or being involved in him, but that's what everyone should at least be willing in mind and heart to do. And I think if they were, the world would change completely. And the Ascended Masters, by the way, all demonstrate that obedience to the Lord Babaji, who is their leader. Their leader because they know that he is closer to divinity even than they are. And it's not a weakness, obedience. In fact, it's a great strength if it's correctly applied. And there is, and I'm just going to re-mention it one more time, uh, a wonderful book, of course, by, um, by Paramahansa Yogananda. And this comes to the third point on the list, by the way, which is called Dedication Beyond All Description. Uh, this is described, this, I'm not saying this is of that level, because the Saturnians show a dedication beyond all description. But here's a little example from Paramahansa's book, Autobiography of a Yogi. And I won't go into it all, it's quite a story, you'll find it in there. It, it tells the story of a disciple who was intent to follow the Lord Babaji, came into his presence on the Himalayas, received an instruction from the Lord Babaji to jump from the ledge of the mountain to his certain death. And the aspirant did it with complete obedience. And that sounds, I think, to most of us really extraordinary, but he didn't question at all this great intelligence, the Lord Babaji. He knew that if he said it, he must have a very good reason for it. And what happened, and Dr. King told me this personally, this isn't actually in the book, but that Lord Babaji uh, resurrected him uh, and he had a life. It wasn't a full life, Dr. King told me, but he had a number of years at the feet of the Lord Babaji, which is worth countless lives to be in the company of the Lord Babaji for a number of years. And this changed him completely. And, um, you know, what happened thereafter, is I don't know. But it was enough for him to gain that experience. But what he had to demonstrate was this total obedience to, let's face it, a, a horrendous instruction on the face of it, which actually was his spiritual salvation. So I'll leave those thoughts with you, and we'll come on to the other eight uh, later in the show. But first of all, we must go to our producer, Darren Ball, who has our questions, our weekly, uh, I should say fortnightly now, questions uh, and comments. Darren. Hey, Richard, and hey, everybody out there. Thanks again for writing in with your comments and your questions. Um, 
As always, I encourage everyone to do so, to write into spiritualfreedom at richardlawrence.co.uk with those questions you have, your thoughts on the teachings that we've been sharing here on the show, and also any experiences or even a moment of truth of your own that you'd like to share. Um, I also invite you to check out Richard's website, by the way, that's richardlawrence.co.uk for other shows and interviews that he's been doing on other stations and podcasts around the world. So, Richard, I thought I'd um, follow follow on here with uh, this theme that we're pursuing now um, about life amongst the planets. Um, and we had a question that came in after a recent show we did on interplanetary existence um, and the different frequencies of vibration, you know, that these civilizations exist on. And so this person has asked, so does it mean that life is on Mars, but we simply cannot see it because our vibration is too low, that it's there in a higher vibrating dimension? What an excellent question, actually, a very perceptive one. And the answer is, it does. Uh, it doesn't mean to say, by the way, that we will never see life on Mars, because if they chose, if they, the Martians chose, uh, then we could. Uh, they could show themselves if they chose to. But we could also go to Mars, uh, for example, just taking Mars, and apply to any of the other planets in the solar system, and not see life at all, even though there is life there. And as this, uh, you know, it's rather like this. There are people really in the same space, as it were, as we are on other levels on this Earth that we can't see unless we're clairvoyant. And even if we're clairvoyant, uh, we won't see it clearly all the time. It'll just depend on our focus at any given moment. Uh, that's something that has to be very carefully controlled, of course, clairvoyance. But the point is there are people here, uh, and it, they might be in a very different situation, uh, exactly where you're seated now, might be on another realm, uh, a, a river, for all I know, or, or a mountain. Um, it varies. Uh, so, yes, the answer is exactly right. You, the, the fact the questioner asked, answer the question there, Darren, I think. <laughs> yeah, I think um, the, the example of the other realms of Earth is a really good good one to use for people because um, yeah. you know, this is not something that's unique to the other planets. I mean, it, it's it's here as well as there. And um, to understand, you know, what happens after we pass on from the physical realm and that, you know, the, the, uh, there's other realms around Earth I think is very helpful too. Yeah, and I bet you we've got people listening, by the way, you've had either had an out-of-body experience in which they sort of mm. went somewhere, you know. Uh, it, it's fairly common. I mean, when I say fairly common, I think one poll said something like 10% of people in the UK had had one, which, you know, is millions oh, really? of people, yeah, a few years mm. ago. Um, and also, of course, we'll have people who've had dreams, which aren't dreams, uh, but where they actually had very realistic experiences. I mean, I've come across people, one Nigerian friend of mine actually had a dream in which his mother, who'd passed on recently, gave him addresses and details which were relevant wow. to her her last will and testament, as it happened, and enabled him to carry out her wishes. And that's after she passed on. Um, so, yeah, it's a very real thing. Oh, that's a great example, that one. Mm. I've got another one here continuing this theme, actually, a bit, yeah. a bit of a more... Well, deeper and bigger question. So this person says, thank you very much for these wonderful words of truth. This is a very, very interesting and clarifying. But I have a question that's been above my head. Why did humankind drop um, in, the ev in our evolution in the first place? What mm. are the reasons by which humanity fell into this dream state of consciousness? Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, I don't know how that can be answered. It's, an, you know, the, the why of involution and the why of evolution Mm. isn't really known fully on this earth. Um, we are told, actually, and we'll come on to this in a future show, that in the seventh freedom, interplanetary existence, they start to know uh, or realize, I can't remember the exact words, the why of existence. Um, we weren't meant to fall this low. Uh, that has been stated, humanity. Uh, we have fallen this low. Obviously, through this will come experience, and, take, and we'll have to go back, as the Master Jesus so brilliantly put it in the 12 Blessings, to the Godhead as conscious gods. But I'm sorry to have to say as to why it is. You know, there's so many things uh, one can look at, and you think, why would that person do that? And sometimes they don't know. Uh, but it's just a behavior cycle which leads to more experience. But eventually, uh, we'll all go back as conscious gods. What a wonderful... In fact, that phrase, Dr. King himself said that really stunned him when he first heard that state because he didn't hear these transmissions as he received them. Uh, he had so elevated his consciousness, his conscious mind was uh, subdued, and so he had no recollection of these teachings until he had to have them played back to him. And when he first heard that quote by the Master Jesus, uh, it really stunned him. 
Oh, I absolutely agree. It's one of yeah. the one of the most stunning phrases in in the twelve blessings. I think that one. It is, but I think Darren, we have to really get on to the to our our first guest now. I think we've come to that point now, and we to do what we're starting to call on this program our our MOT, our moment of truth. And I'm delighted to say that uh, this week it's Alan Jaggard who actually founded the Tor- Toronto Group. We've had the current organizer of the Toronto Group on this show already, Laura Shapiro, and he founded it uh, uh, back in 1981 when he was just 24 years old. And he's been very active ever since, representing the Ethereum Society in the media, giving many, many lectures. Previous to founding the group, he was a top 10 Canadian motocross racer from 1972 through 1981 when he retired from professional racing, but he's remained in that industry to this day. So today on the show, Alan is going to share with us a little bit about his spiritual journey. So welcome, Alan. Hello, Richard. How's it going? Very good. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, I tell you, this show that you're having here today, it's almost been scaring me listening to it because there's so many things that are related to what I'm going to express here that you've been talking about right from the beginning. That's interesting. Yeah, so as you know, I'm a firm believer in the teaching of the master, uh, George King, in that he said nothing happens by chance, luck, or coincidence. So I'm not surprised that this show is about what it is, and I'm the guest on here today. So I'll get right into it because I know our time is short, but uh, basically my moment of truth was a progression that started from 14 years old when I was in a Presbyterian church, <clears throat> asked a couple questions of the uh, the pastor or priest, whatever it was there at that time, and he wasn't able to answer my two questions, one of which was, what happens after you die? And pointing up to the sky, what's up there? And when he couldn't answer that by saying to me, it's not for you to question God's will or whatever, I knew right then that I needed to find something else. So it was sort of odd that it happened at that phase in my life at 14, but I did pursue it to go away from the church and started investigating some of the Eastern philosophies and also uh, connected with my grandmother, who had actually been in connection uh, with the master since the late 1950s. Hadn't really ever talked to her about it, but when she knew what I was doing, she started to expose the Ethereum Society information to me. And the first book that I ever got was the book, You Are Responsible. And I found that book fascinating. I also like to mention to give a plug to my grandmother in that is that she actually throughout her years, because she passed away many years ago, but she sent that book to every prime minister uh, from the 1950s right up until uh, when she passed away. And well so done. that that was uh, really inspired me also at the work that she would do with the You Are Responsible. But the nine freedoms, though, didn't really come into my life until probably around 17 or 18 years old. And the thing that I connect to what your show's about here today is, I'll be honest about this, I couldn't get past the seventh freedom. And I had gone to that point, and I was so... I can't really explain it. I just couldn't take it all that was in that book. I just couldn't accept it. And I spent many a time with my grandmother arguing with her, being skeptical, quizzing her, challenging all the information that was there. But gradually, I just developed to the point where I realized it was just there was too much truth in this. Uh, It was even provable as far as I was concerned from some of the information that's in the book, You Are Responsible. So by the time uh, 1978 came around, I had now fully completed the book, The Nine Freedoms, and possibly even read it a few times. And the part of what I wanted to say about my moment of truth, because it wasn't really a moment of truth, it was sort of I'm expressing the journey that I went through, is that I knew in 1978 that I was going to be somehow connected with this. And I believed fully in the Master George King. And I had the nine freedoms always in my room. And uh, while I was racing in these final years leading up to 1981, I remember distinctly many times, you know, the picture on the back of the nine freedoms, that portrait of our master and the look on his face. I used to have to turn that upside down or not upside down, but turn it over. So I didn't have him looking at me because I really had this feeling like he was almost calling to me that I needed to pay attention uh, to what was there. And 
So the long story short with it is, is that um, in 1981, which was the year that I ended my racing, and again, connected with what you talked about just earlier, I had a dream about two or three weeks before what turned out to be my final race. And I didn't even think about it, but it was a nightmare. And I had a premonition dream of exactly what happened to me three weeks later uh, in the Montreal Olympic Stadium where I had an accident and I broke my leg. And uh, it turned out that that was the end. I made a promise after that to friends and family that I would uh, hang up my helmet and wouldn't go on to starting lines. I've broken that promise a couple times in the last few years, but that was what happened. And it was in that year, 1981, that I started with Laura and a couple other people, and we started the Toronto group. So what my main point of the story was is that my Nine Freedoms experience was that do not be afraid if you can't understand everything that you read for the first time. You have to read it over and over again. I probably read the Nine Freedoms maybe 30 times now. And... Um, and so you were talking about that too, about, uh, you, in fact, I even wrote it down here when you gave that sentence about sustained persistence, because I had written that down here, and perseverance. And also when you said, stand fast and know God, I thought that's exactly what my point is, is that even though I didn't understand it, and the eighth freedom that you're talking about today, that's the one where I stopped. But once I got into it, with so many other things that I've experienced in the Ethereum Society, uh, years later, you look back on those times and you think, why did I not understand? Why did I not get it back then? But oh, yeah. through that persistence and through that perseverance and through the continuation of never giving up, and that's something that I probably gained most of that from my racing experience is that you never give up, ever. <laughs> and it's persistence right to the end. And if you do that, it will lead you to the truth, which will lead you to the point of understanding it, and then you become wise. And so that's really what the point is I wanted to say is to anyone that gets the nine freedoms or any of the Ethereum teachings, just give it time, absorb it, meditate on it, think about it, because truth is, and it will uh, dawn on you at some point so that's my moment of truth that's fantastic alan thank you so much for joining us and uh, sharing that i think extremely valuable lesson to all of us which is in tune with of course what uh, the nine prince was talking about sustained effort and and a great example because alan has continued ever since that day and he's still continuing and he's always out there lecturing and sharing the teachings and sharing the knowledge so thank you so much again for joining us, Alan Jaggard uh, from Toronto. Uh, thank you, from Richard. the Toronto group. And I would just like to, to, to just say, because this is happening a lot, and Darren uh, will bear me out on this, uh, we're getting <laughs> over and over again things that come up in this show that we didn't know that tie in exactly to either a question that, or, or to a, a contribution by a guest. And it's, it's, it's as though somebody other than Darren or myself is arranging this show. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, it happens a lot, doesn't it, Darren? It happened there again. Yeah, yeah, countless times actually so far. I mean, how interesting mm. that Alan, and how honest of Alan to say that, you know, that was the moment, uh, mm. you know, he got, as it were, stuck for a moment, was the eighth freedom, the very thing that we're covering for the first time ever on the Spiritual Freedom Show. Absolutely. I would say probably for the first time on any uh, radio show that I know of uh, focused on the eighth freedom. So very, very interesting, and, and we must... Uh, Go further then with this list from Mars Sector 6. Uh, so we had uh, the first three. I'm calling it a list. He didn't say it was a list. Uh, the first three were sustained effort, obedience, and dedication. So now we're going to hear a continuation of the last extract, and uh, we'll see the other eight points that uh, Mars Sector 6 lists for those who gained and have gained the eighth freedom. By service, by the dispensation of true love, by a controlled a thought, a controlled action, controlled in action, by a raising the Kundalini 
fully upwards of thy a cosmic a consciousness a by a conscious ascension by interplanetary experience and by amalgamation into the whole. Gosh. I think if we learned that list of 11 uh, points, we, we'd be much the better for it. I just want to pause there for a moment and say something I haven't said for the last few shows, and that is just how fortunate we really are, not only to have these words, but to have to hear them as they were delivered. And, and just in these short aphorisms or pearls uh, from which we can glean so much knowledge, because we're hearing there not just the words, but the power the emphasis, the vibration of the, the master who delivered it. And that's through the grace of Dr. George King, I must say. I believe that Mars Sector 6 has not communicated uh, in this way ever before, before he chose to do so through Dr. King to Earth, to Earth, I should stress. Um, and it, it's because, of, I think, of the caliber of Dr. King and the perfection of his mediumship that uh, this happened. And so we, we are the beneficiaries because we're hearing and do when you hear these extracts on the Spiritual Freedom Show, allow the vibrations to permeate you for a few moments and you will be changed. Just as if you come into the presence of a master or the presence of a holy place, the vibrations, the aura of that place will change you, will raise you so through sound. Uh, so these emanations can carry even over the radio waves and can change you. So we've moved then to the fourth on the list, service. That's no surprise, I think, to anyone familiar with the cosmic teachings. And the next one is the dispensation of true love. And we already know, of course, that love is not what most people think it is. We've covered that in the second freedom. True love uh, is, is radiated, not even just through the heart center, by the way, but through the heart center, the throat center, and the Christ center or third eye in their entirety. So you'd have to be an enlightened person, really, to be capable of true love. Well, these intelligences are way beyond an enlightened terrestrial person. And so you can only imagine what kind of true love they will be dispensing. It's very different from anything we can conceive of, I think. But I do want to come to the sixth factor on this list, because I think it's very, very significant and worthy of our contemplation. And to quote Mars Sector 6, it is this, controlled thought, controlled action, controlled inaction. And of course, I, I think it's the controlled inaction that will be misunderstood by some if they haven't studied the Eighth Freedom and may surprise some. Uh, but when you come back to something I mentioned right at the beginning, which is that these intelligences operate in complete stillness, total stillness, not just physical stillness, mental stillness, uh, active stillness, they're capable of that in a way which is one of the absolute hallmarks of their divinity, really. Uh, they don't use, of course, just to be clear here, uh, when it says controlled, they are not controlling anybody else. Um, we know that the cosmic, none of the cosmic masters control anyone else. That's why they can't come openly among us and just sort all our problems out and prove themselves to all the disbelievers and so forth. They won't rob us of our free will. But what they have is complete control over their own thought, and their own action and their own inaction. Now, you can't control something which isn't manifest. So, for example, coming to a, quite a basic level to control your psychic abilities, first of all, you have to have psychic abilities. You've got to realize your psychic abilities uh, in one way or another. And we're all different how we might do that. But then they have to be controlled. And one of, the, of course, the finest ways to do that is by only using them in service. Um, now, the thought powers of an interplanetary master are way beyond anything we can conceive of as we can see from the seventh and the eighth freedoms. But even that 
has to be controlled. And they've also controlled their action, not just on their own planets, but in their case, throughout the galaxy and even beyond the galaxy. So all their actions are completely controlled. And by the way, they have many, many aspects, hundreds of aspects, something we'll go into in the future, but they'll have uh, aspects of their own being. As I mentioned, the Lord Babaji is an aspect of a Saturnian intelligence, probably a tiny fraction of that intelligence, actually. Still Saturnian, though, still linked to his true Saturnian being, even though under some limitation by having and being willing to live among us on Earth uh, in an ascended body, but still for him, extremely limited conditions, and still, though, uh, an active part of a Saturnian intelligence. So all of these uh, aspects that they have, wherever they may be, they control completely. Uh, the, You know, the way that we need to control our actions is, of course, through cooperating with the law of karma. And one can look at many religions and talk a lot about that. I would just say one thing about that. If you look at some of the traditional teachings, such as the Ten Commandments, which was delivered by a Lord of Karma to Moses, but it was delivered to a much more basic culture, which was uh, under great limitation. Likewise, the Sermon on the Mount, likewise, the Buddhist Dhammapada, and even the Vedas. Uh, What we have now, though, is something that didn't really exist or wasn't understood namely the concept of global service or the practice of global service. I mean, through our online services, through a whole variety of ways, through pilgrimages, through uh, cooperating with uh, extraterrestrials, through missions and so on, we are now able to perform global service, even through the internet. We can teach in a global way. And this should be at the top, by the way, of all religious priorities, which it isn't, Uh, in some of these traditional religions, for the reasons I've explained. They were more limited. And it should be the top of our moral precepts. It's the highest moral action we can perform, global service. That's a massive change. So that's action, controlled action. But what about controlled inaction? Actually, that sounds like something which is very popular on Earth, doesn't it, inaction? Uh, Because people think of laziness, of relaxation, and so on. um, And people can be extremely inactive on the face of it. But that's not what is being described here at all. What is being described here is not an inaction brought about by relaxation or lack of effort or or laziness would be alien to these intelligences uh, before they ever got near Saturnian existence or even interplanetary existence. No, what they have done uh, is take full control over their thoughts, their actions, through effort, through what we might call concentration, but it would be so much more advanced and deep, what we might call meditation. There isn't really a word we've got for it. Meditation being a very, very misused and misunderstood word, by the way. Dr. King once said it's it's a word that's been slaughtered. Um, And so some people think meditation is just relaxing your mind. And, and it isn't. I mean, it, it, that may help some people. I'm not saying it isn't helpful. Uh, I've even taught it myself. It can be useful. It can help people through life. But it's sticking plaster. It's, it's not the real meditation, which is a result not of relaxation only. You, it may be an element, a slight element of it, just so that you're not forcing your mind. But real meditation is through intense, extremely intense concentration. And, of course, it's taken to the point uh, where we have this concept of controlled inaction. I think the one thing we can learn from this, if we want to apply these things to our lives, is there are two ways of dealing with what we might call uh, stress. Not all stress is negative, but say, for example, you are able, let's just say, to activate your solar plexus center and receive inspirations or psychic uh, abilities or something like this, and you want to control that. Uh, you you can do it by sort of, as it were, damping down, relaxing, uh, calming down. I mean, we know of geniuses who've used sedatives and all sorts of things. But there's another much, much, much better way, which is to raise the energies through concentrated effort, through contemplation, through meditation to a higher level and bring about a balance. 
And so controlled inaction, I think, is something we could spend a long time studying and seeing what it really means. It's not our concept at all on Earth, I don't think. It's something way above this, and it's almost the opposite move. It's a move of greater, let's say, taking the vibrations higher, not lower, to bring about that control. And then the other things, of course, that, that are on the list that we've, we've heard there from Mars Sector 6. Uh, so we have service. Um, we have, uh, let me get them in front of me. Here we are. We have uh, raising the Kundalini fully upward. So that's linked, actually. That's the thing that we really want to strive to do if we want to bring controlled, well, our version, anyway, of controlled in action by cosmic consciousness. We've studied that. By conscious sentient. Interesting, the word conscious almost implies there might be some form of ascension which isn't conscious. Uh, but this is where a person permanently ascends, I, I would say, by interplanetary experience, and then the last one on the list, by amalgamation into the whole. And that is, that really is the nirvana. What people called nirvana before uh, cosmic consciousness, we've discovered, is not the final stage uh, but amalgamation into the whole, at least for that period of time, is what nirvana should be and which they do attain. But they do leave it as well, of course, in order to serve. But they have that reached that level. They've amalgamated into the whole. They are part of the whole. They have no individuality, no uh, persona, uh, no specific thoughts of their own. They are just absolutely one with all life not just in this not in, just in their planet or the solar system or the galaxy but the whole so that's an amazing thought i really think and 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 one that we can really contemplate on but first i do want to introduce our guest today our second guest today uh someone we know very very well i appear with her regularly on the Theorius radio live uh if you want to listen to that as well you'll find that on the uh, Ethereum Society website, ethereus.org. And Chrissy Blaze is a very active media guest. Uh, she's an international speaker. She's the author of 12 books, including the best-selling Power Prayer with her husband as the co-author, Gary Blaze. And her latest book, Earth, Astrology's Missing Planet, Reconnecting with Her Sacred Power. Uh, Chrissy uh, is a fantastic astrologer, by the way, and she understands it in a way that I don't think any other astrologer could understand it because she really knows a lot more, I would say, about karma and karma, karmic manipulation than any other astrologer I know of anyway. She's been a close follower of Dr. George King for more than 40 years. Today, she's going to lead us in a prayer that she wrote. I'm delighted to say she wrote it for the book Prayer Energy, which I co-authored with Mark Bennett. You'll find it in that book. It's about destiny and the prayers called My Soul's Purpose. So welcome, Chrissy. Well, thank you very much, Richard, for your great introduction there. Um, and thank you so much for inviting me on this fantastic show. It is interesting that you said earlier that by listening to the transmission extracts, it changes us. Because I was thinking at the same time that by listening to this wonderful show, Spiritual Freedom, it takes us to a higher place. I mean, I'm feeling that now. And by this, we are tr virtually treading this path that I'm going to be talking about briefly today, our soul's purpose, the path of our soul or destiny. So I just want to begin by saying this is, there is very good news for all of us during this time of chaos and uncertainty in our world, a time when many people are suffering, not just from ill health, but from a feeling of hopelessness about their lives. The good news, the great news, is that every single person on earth has a destiny or soul's purpose. But what does that mean? As quoted in, in your wonderful book, Richard, Prayer Energy, written by yourself and Mark Bennett, you say, your destiny is written, but you are the editor. And I think they're very wise words indeed. Your destiny is written, but... We, each of us, is the editor of our destiny. So where is our destiny written and how can we find it? It's written by the highest, most divine part of us. And our task is to access this. 
We can do it in many, many different ways. And we can begin by listening to the promptings of our conscience, our higher selves. We can look at ourselves honestly and ask ourselves whether we feel spiritually fulfilled. If not, it's time to find or renew our soul's purpose. And the direction is always upwards. This is the key. It never takes us downwards. We can begin this journey right now. Or we can renew this journey right now at this very moment, listening to this brilliant show. And the more passionately we tread this path and make the conscious decision to do so, the more we'll be drawn to the higher spiritual truths as we are today, and the more we'll begin to understand them. The more our hearts will open to those who are suffering and we want to help. And it doesn't matter whether we're wealthy or poor, whether we're sick or healthy, we can still reach for our highest destiny of unlocking our divine potential. Within all of us is the same spark urging for expression, dimly in some at the moment and with great strength in others. Some people are born with a very strong sense of destiny. When we unlock this spiritual bounty within, we will find that our soul's path, although not an easy one, is the most fascinating one we can ever take. One thing we may find is that the silently unseen world around us will begin to respond and reveal its treasures in the form of breakthroughs, inspirations, realizations, and even signs leading us upwards, bringing psychic experiences and spiritual opportunities to learn and grow even more. It really is an exciting path. As Richard mentioned, I've written a prayer about this, which he kindly published in the fantastic book, Prayer Energy. It's called My Soul's Purpose. And it is a request to God that we may unfold our soul's purpose and that we may become instruments of peace and love on this fantastic journey. So let us prepare now, shall we, to join together in this prayer if you wish to do so. The more we prepare for prayer, the more effective it can be. Because prayer is not just said with our minds. Dynamic prayer, real soul prayer, is said with the whole of us, our physical body, our breath, our mind, our emotions, and most importantly, our hearts and souls. So let us first sit up straight in our chairs with your feet flat on the floor and keep the spine straight and relaxed around your neck and shoulders. Place your hands, palms downwards on your knees and let's focus for a minute on our breath. Breathe deeply and evenly. And on every breath, feel that little bit more relaxed and go deeper within with every breath. And begin to feel a sense of peace within you. And we shall begin with preparation with the practice of the presence, a beautiful visualization practice that will cleanse and uplift you psychically and spiritually. Please place the left hand palm on your solar plexus center with the right hand palm on top. Keep your eyes closed and let's follow this visualization and allow the energies to flow through you. Let us reach upwards with our minds into the ethers above and visualize a brilliant living white light and bring this light down into our heads, charging every cell of your brain, down through your neck and shoulders and lodge this gently in your heart center, just in front of the breastbone. Now let us think downwards to the mother earth beneath our feet. And let us humbly request from this great goddess, from her living heart, her violet flame of transmutation, which she gives always, which she gives willingly. And allow this cool, 
transmuting violet flame to flow upwards through your feet, the lower part of your body and aura, and take this into your heart center. Join these two forces together and take them upwards. And there visualize a golden sphere just above the head and offer these two forces in sacrifice to this divine spark within us and bring down from this its wonderful golden essence of complete spirituality, bringing wisdom to your brain, love to your heart and understanding which is lodged in the solar plexus center. Bring it right the way down through and around every aspect of your being. See yourself shining like the sun. Become receptive and open our hearts as we make this appeal to God. Let us raise our hands in the prayer mudra with the hands about shoulder height with the palms facing outwards, the fingers and thumb together, and join together mentally with this prayer. O oh, wondrous creator of life, as the moon, the stars, and the sun shine in accordance with your plan, as the galaxy, filled with teeming life, evolves in its journey back to you. I beseech with humble heart that I too may unfold my soul's purpose, the higher, brighter path that you, in your mysterious and infinite wisdom, would surely have me tread. I ask, almighty Brahma, that your everlasting love transforms my every word, thought, and action, and that my steps be straight and true in my sacred journey back to you. O God of the universe, author of its laws, may I let light the way for others as a loving instrument of your peace. May the wonder of my destiny be fulfilled and your divine will be done. Now let us detach from this prayer by swiping the right-hand palm once over the left, the mudra of detachment. You have made your request to the Creator with all your heart, and it must, by the divine law of karma, be answered in one way or another. The answer may come in mysterious ways, but have faith and be open to any signs or opportunities that open up for you. They may come through a book you read, a person you meet, or by listening to this wonderful radio show. Thank you so much, everybody, and may God bless and guide you always. Thank you, Chrissy Blaze. What a wonderful prayer and a beautiful delivery. And thank you so much for being our guest today. And thank you also to Alan Jaggard again. Darren, Ball, do you have one more comment for us? Oh, yeah, sure. I thought I'd share this one, which was inspiring. Um, this person says, When I first came across the Ethereum Society nearly 40 years ago, I asked the question in prayer to what I then in my ignorance called extraterrestrials, how can I help? you. How can I help you? The answer came as a simple address at the London headquarters with a picture of Dr. George King. And I knew that this was the answer and became a member. I blessed the day that I did so. That's wonderful. <laughs> and that just leaves me to close with our usual closing words from the nine freedoms. Service is the jewel in the rock of attainment. 